Hey guys, before we get started today, I want to send you to reformcon.org to tell you about a conference we are speaking at. It is happening October 27th through the 29th in Mesa, Arizona. Yes, obviously we will be there and there is a series of other wonderful speakers. Uh, We'll have Toby Sumter. Jeff Durbin, your dad, Summer. Yes. Uh, I'm really excited for David Bonson, uh, Joe Boot, Andrew Sandlin, John Sampson, Ben Merkel, and more. Um, there on the website, you can also find uh, ticket information. There are family packages, uh, general admission, child admission. There is a VIP after party event that you can also purchase tickets to, as well as information on the hotel that the event is being held at. So that is all at reformcon.org, and we're excited to meet you guys there. Yep, come see us. Have you had your soup today? The cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to our episode of Sheologians. We're here today to put the her in Luther. Oh, I think last time we had your dad on, you went with father. Oh, okay. So that's what automatically popped in. That being said, I don't know that to be true. <laughs> you made it up. Um, so I was kind of expecting yeah. you to go that direction. No. But Luther. Yours makes so much like, more sense. Like literally her is in it. It's true. Which yeah. mm-hmm. follows the made-up rules that we made. Anyway, my name is Summer Yeager. <laughs> I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy. And you guys have been asking for it. And I had to work really hard to make this happen. You all have been like, when are you going to have your dad on for another church history discussion? You had to work hard? Yeah. I had to send... Am I, am I not babysitting your yeah. kids tonight? <laughs> shh, shh, they don't know that. <laughs> I had to send a text what message grandparents to somebody that I already text message fairly regularly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and be like, hey, yeah, you just said we want you on. OK, when? OK, yeah, this that time tough. that was hard work this time at this date. And um, almost as hard as you worked on math when you were. In yes, anyway. I memorized those times tables. I still remember walking around the, the neighborhood just going, it's hopeless. <laughs> oh, no. It's it the is, only, well, you know, <laughs> if if this tells you anything, that is, I remember you, we went on walks and mm-hmm. would say my times tables and try to memorize them. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the very few things about math that I do remember. <laughs> so parental involvement. There you go. This is an ad oh, yeah. for parental I, involvement because... I don't. Um, the way Eric does multiplication is like he counts by that number. So he'll he'll teach the kids like count by threes, count by fives, count by eights. Mm. And I cannot do that at all. <laughs> but if you just like ask me. Yeah. If you're not if you're not uh, good with numbers already, by the time you get to like, you know, multiplication, division, it's, by the time you're getting like up there, forget it. Like seven times twelve. Yeah, I'm not. Oh, I lost track. (laughs) Like we're not doing that. Yeah. So anyway. That's eighty four. But anyway. Right. (laughs) It's because you memorized it. You you did not count. No, you see it. Oh, you did the math in your head. 
Yeah. I recently changed the math curriculum that we're doing for the kids and it's just a lot of repetition and I just think that's how you do math you just got to do it over and over it's horrible and I hate it there are there are people who just are they're different yeah their minds their minds are wired different yeah oh yeah absolutely I mean I always got A's in math but it was a 90 or an 89.5 rounded up (laughs) like very on the edge (laughs) yeah it was very on the edge oh yeah math is not my if I if we have to do math on the show I just like look at joy with panic eyes real quick well then her panic (laughs) transfers to me and i'm just like what are numbers and then usually i pull out the right answer after like yeah too long (laughs) way too long i did in school i was that luther didn't care about any of this no he didn't didn't. (laughs) no but yeah i was that kid that like there was math stuff happening and the whole class was like i got it i get it and i was like i don't know what's happening and then the next semester, everyone would be like, I'm so confused. I'd be like, I understand this completely. <laughs> you were that one. Yeah. But it just, yeah, I didn't work super well in my favor. Uh-uh. But, well, I'm okay. Matt. Last night I was like laying in bed and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm 32 weeks pregnant. I'm pretty sure that means I have eight weeks left, but I felt like really insecure about it. <laughs> so I was like, hey, what's 40 minus 32? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm pretty sure it's eight. Like I'm, I'm almost positive, but also that sounds fake. Like it just doesn't sound a little bit more seven something ish because it's normally not all the way. To... Then again, you pushed it a long ways first time around. So you know, um... I have I have only delivered on my due date both times. Okay, well, if you call forty four hours of yeah, uh, forty four hours is pretty pretty okay. horrible. <laughs> But I went into labor two days before my due date. Mm. So really, I made it on time. You know how you well. leave early for everything? Yeah. Well, so do say, I. Okay. I was say, <laughs> the there's a reason here <laughs> the that you showed up to your birth 44 hours early. I absolutely believe that. Mm-hmm. It's, he, yeah. it's this one. Not surprised <laughs> no. at all. <laughs> anyway, okay. Well, we're here. We're do- Oh, you can leave us a voicemail. I don't know about your math troubles 470-465-0475 i have not had a problem remembering that number lately which is weird because i can't remember anything else like Mm -hmm. nothing else but for whatever reason our voicemail number i'm solid on like i don't even need it on my screen ma'am you fainted (laughs) 470-465 what's your name can i call someone for you 470-470 um, it's some weird I'm putting the her podcast in. voicemail. <laughs> I don't know if these people are going to help you. It's definitely, they're definitely not going to help. <laughs> anyway, um, so we were like, what do we have? First of all, when you came and did the Munster story, you kind of came and brought like the most interesting story. True. That, I mean, where do you go? <laughs> we went big right off the bat. Yeah. We did. We did. No choice about it. Too big. We swung mm-hmm. for the fences. Mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to those episodes, they um, they sound unreal. They sound fake. He's telling a real story, but it sounds like he made it up. Um, it was just a crazy. It was wild. It was just like unbelievable. I don't even remember half of it because my brain was like, <laughs> this was a movie. Just <laughs> delete it. <laughs> that was a movie you watched. That was Dragonheart. Like, I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> Um, there weren't any dragons. No, that was about the only thing missing. Dragons were real, though. Obviously, T Rexes were obviously dragons. If you say so, absolutely they were. If you look at the bone structure <clears throat> of a T Rex, what did they have those tiny arms for? 
Those were the bones inside of wings, Dad. Anyway, <laughs> I can't believe you guys don't know about this. Um, anyway, so... You can say anything you want when you're pregnant. Just later on, just go... <laughs> Blame it on the kid. We've also encouraged people to just like edit things out as they're listening that they don't like. Just edit it in your, in your heart, really. Yeah. Just, you didn't like that part? Just you forget disagree. It. Delete it. Yeah. Anyway, um, I wanted to talk ask you about Martin Luther because, well, it kind of what a guy. I mean, what a guy. <laughs> so much. What why a guy. Why would you ask me? Yeah, but, um, well, because I know that you, that's just the studio ghost. It's fine. <laughs> he lives back there behind the curtain. Okay. <laughs> Whenever you hear anything here, just studio Do you ghost. remember in the last episode when I told everyone that you were clearly haunted? <laughs> um, I only ever hear that noise when you're here, so obviously. It's my pool friend. <laughs> he won't get that reference. It's okay. Um <clears throat> So because I'm a homeschooler and because we're reformed, you know, in the month of Halloween, we're all about Reformation Day instead of Halloween. And I remember trying to teach my kids a couple Octobers ago, like about Martin Luther and like who he was. And there's all this stuff you can find on the Internet. There's tons of stuff about what he did and who he was. And, um, you know, a lot of it, it's either very glowing mm-hmm like hero type stuff or it's like oh horrible he was just the worst there's really um it's almost like our culture can't reconcile the two yeah <laughs> yeah like what do you do if someone was great and also horrible <laughs> yeah <laughs> much like Many people who once existed. <laughs> yes. Or exist now. Yes. And then you also just have, I mean, you have on Twitter, you've got that daily Martin Luther insulter account, right. which is hilarious right. is. and also and all real. shocking. <laughs> oh, he, when he and um, one Roman Catholic leader in, uh, in the United Kingdom wrote back and forth to each other, it's been estimated that um, both of them exhausted every possible Latin term for excrement. <laughs> and I mean, every possible, I mean, they dug stuff out that no one else even thought of to use of each other. Yeah, it was uh, pretty So, impressive. and then, but then you have like hero of church history and then uh-huh. you've got like, you know, Lutherans. <laughs> and then- There's not a lot of connection between <laughs> Lutherans and Luther to be perfectly honest with you. But anyway, yes, uh, he- Obviously, the, the the problem we have here is we live in a day where people expect everybody in the past uh, to live by the standards that they want to have today, and nobody in the past did, nor could they have, and that's mm-hmm. why we're tearing down statues and and trying to pretend the past didn't exist, and and it, we won't have a we won't be part of the past in the future. It's always the ever present now, and all mm. this kind of silliness uh, that that goes on. But um, I've told the story before that. Uh, in 2017, you remember, uh, I remember being there when you gave your first uh, public talk uh, at the Sovereign Nations Conference in Washington, D.C., and uh, uh, Peterson was sitting in the audience, and you were very nervous about uh, all of that. And uh, What a night. Can we just, what a nightmare. Sometimes I still think about, Can remember we? that time <laughs> Summer went to Washington, D.C. and like got to stay in a cool hotel and... Very cool. Talk to Jordan Peterson, but slash give a speech with him in the room. What I want 
what I what the detail to camp on is that this was like my first public speaking engagement, and it was not a large crowd, mm-hmm. but Jordan Peterson right was staring at me Quality, the whole time. Not quantity. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, this is an actual nightmare. <laughs> and he was very kind. Con- I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like he's, let me, he's a very nice guy. He was not being horrible in any way. He was being very respectful and listening. And he even referred to me in his yeah, talk. At least, at least three times. So I know he was listening. And, and actually, as the previous speaker said. Yeah. He kept referring to stuff I said, which honestly was probably stuff I got from him. But anyway, the moral of the story <laughs> is. I'm really glad that was an out-of-body experience because <laughs> that's horrible. Well, what I was <laughs> trying yeah, to say anyway. before being interrupted there um, <laughs> and going off on a wild goose chase yep. was uh, just before that conference. And at that conference, I gave a talk on the two Luthers. And I don't even know if you were there. I, I assume you probably were. Um, but uh, that was actually on October 31st of 2017. So it's the 500th anniversary. So pop on. So just... In the weeks earlier, we had been in Germany uh, doing a Reformation tour, and that's when I got to preach at the Castle Church uh, right. in Wittenberg. Um, one of only two evangelicals we know of that have preached from that that pulpit, and um, that was sort of bucket list type thing. But the first night before we started our our group going around to various places, I gave a talk in Berlin, and I said to everybody, I said, "Look, um, I, I'm well aware of the fact that." Almost none of the men that we're going to be studying, Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, Bootser, uh, whoever the first, second generation reformers, almost none of these men would have extended the right hand of fellowship to me. And um, almost all of them would have minimally had me banished, and some of them would have had me imprisoned and one or two uh, executed. Right. <laughs> uh, and so I'm, I'm well aware of this. Well. Everybody leaves, and the staff, sovereign staff, is still there. Um, and they, they say to me, they have this look on their face. And they're like, no one has ever said that before. Because they've done this tour oh. with big names. I mean, if I mentioned the names, you'd know. These people had up massive national ministries and professors of church history and all the rest of this kind of stuff. And I said, no one has ever said what you said about what the reformers would have done in regards to us. Mm. And I'm like, well, but that, but how do you tell the whole story if if you don't put it in the context in which it happened? Right. And I saw over and over again over the course of that tour the danger of that mm. because these people had been listening to these other folks and they don't know where in the world I'm coming from. Mm. Um. And it really exploded when we got to the Vartburg Castle. And I don't know if you've seen the picture of your mom and I sitting at the end of this mm-hmm. massive table where we're having this incredible uh, meal in a castle. Yeah. Uh, which was all a big surprise that Mike Speaking had of bucket lists, yeah. Oh, uh, it was, it was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and you're at the Vartburg Castle. Yeah. You're, you're where Luther. After he stands before Charles the Emperor at the Diet of Worms, and he says, "Here stay ishist kanish under his God help me. Here I stand. I can do another, no other. God help me." And and then he's kidnapped by uh, Duke Frederick, and and he's hidden out. Now he's Knight George, and 
and he's translating the New Testament, and he has horrific bowel problems, and um, <laughs> he really does. Uh, the man was constipated almost his entire <laughs> life. It was it was horrible. Um, but uh, you know, all that stuff. We're at the Vartburg Castle, and I knew that in the South Tower. So there's you know you got the big old towers. It's, yeah, it's a castle. Like, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's a beautiful castle, and in the South Tower, which is a smaller room, there is a if you if you t- walk up the stair the stairway goes around like about three or four times where you get to the top. About halfway up, there's this door into a small room, smaller than where we are right now, good bit smaller than where we are. You can put about fourteen people in there crammed together. And the middle of the room is a square hole about this big. I'd say. 18 to 20 inches square. And they have lights on down below. You can look through it. It's graded. They don't want anybody falling in. But you can see it goes about 30 yards, about 30 yards, 100 100 feet down. Okay. And it's just the inside of the tower. So you're in a tower and this is the, there's no, no doors, no windows. It's just the inside of the tower. tower. Uh, And it is a prison cell. Mm. And they called it the terror hole because they would they would tie your hands behind your back and they would lower you into that darkness. You have no idea how far down it is. You don't know what's down there. Yeah. Um, and in 1541, well, in 1539, uh, an Anabaptist by the name of Fritz Erba had read the translation of the New Testament that Luther did at the Wartburg Castle. We had already visited the room where he did the translation. It said, do not take any pictures. And so, so mom took a number of pictures. In there. And, um, which is why <laughs> unbothered. I because unbothered you know, as usual, like, totally like, unbothered. Yeah. I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, and, uh, so, so he, that was printed and published widely read. Fritz Erba reads this and he becomes convicted my children need to be baptized when they profess faith in Christ. Mm. So he becomes an Anabaptist. He's arrested about 1539, and he's uh, down in, I'm not sure if he was in Erfurt, just where he was, uh, forgotten now. But anyways, he, would be, he started preaching to people outside through his window of his cell and converting people. And so they drag him up to Vartburg Castle, and they lower him through that hole into that black pit. Um, now I, I can't imagine what it's like down there. I can't imagine how cold it is during the, the German winters, how dark it is. They lower your food down to you through this little thing. And when, you know, for the first few weeks that you're in there, Lutheran preachers would come cause, cause this is 1541. So, um, so it's been 20 years since Luther's been there. All right. Luther's still alive. He's not going to, He's still got about five years to live. Um, so there are Lutheran preachers now, and they will sit at the edge of that hole up there and preach down to you to convert you. Now, remember, the only reason he's down there is mode of baptism. Right. Okay. Wow. So how many, how many people would be yeah. like after five minutes down there? Okay, fine, whatever. Yeah. Uh, sprinkle, sprinkle the babies. We're, right. we're done. Yeah. And um, is that what he had to do to get out? Oh yeah. That's all he had to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he is down there for seven years before he dies. That's right. He died in there. That's right. Seven years before he dies. And not once out. No. They left him in there. Yeah. And Luther knew he was there. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, I talked with Mike and Kathy. Kathy and I went up early to the to the castle. We went up, saw saw it. I told her the whole story, and she's like, "Do you want to bring everybody up here?" Yeah. And I'm like, "Yes." Yeah. So they have to go. It's fifty. It's a half euro coin to go up there. It's a little turnstile. So they go and buy a bunch of coins. Yeah. And when everybody's done with the regular tour, we drag them over there, and we hand them the coins. And we go up and in two groups, and that's why there's a video of this on, yeah. on YouTube. There's a video, if you look up Fritz Erba, E-R-B-E, it'll be the, it's the only thing on YouTube, believe me. About Fritz Erba. It's going to pop up. <laughs> no, one's else, no one else is worried about him. And no, no. And we recorded a five-minute video. That's right. In that room yeah. about what happened and, and what it meant in regards to church history. Well, I remember one of the ladies in our, in our group, after I told that story that night, she comes up to me and says, I... I cannot possibly ever believe that Martin Luther was a Christian. Mm. He, he knew that that man was in there mm. and he did nothing. I, and I, I said, be careful mm-hmm. because if you've set that standard, you're not going to have any Christians to be looking at for a very, very, very long time in mm. church history. Well, and people could look back at you and depending on your right. life right. And could I, potentially, I said, I said, yeah. 200 years from now, someone may look back at you on some standard that you didn't even ever give a second thought to in your life. And now you're going to be judged by them in that way too. Um, So the whole point was, if you don't tell the whole story, Mm. if you only tell the story, you know, because it's a Varpard castle, you have the Inkwell incident where uh, Luther, Luther would have been um, diagnosed with all sorts of stuff today. He had these deep, deep depressions. Mm. And uh, he was he was he was helped when he married mm. um, Katie Van Bora, um, his dear Catherine. Uh, he he described he described the Book of Galatians as his dear Catherine. Uh, so it was, <laughs> you know, it was his favorite book, and and um, and the story is told that once he was down in the basement and he was just in one of those dark, dark, dark times, and he just he's down low, and she comes down in the dark and sits next to him, and he's like, "Why are you here?" <laughs> Um, well, you're here. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, besides that, I heard God died. Woman, what are you talking about? God died. That's absurd. Well, looking at you, I couldn't come to any other conclusion. <laughs> you know, and so, she, <laughs> so she'd ruin his foul moods. Yeah. And, uh, but he had these deep, 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 dark mm. depressions. And so once during that time at the Vartburg Castle, especially when it looked like the Reformation was already swinging out of control, Luther was... And this is the main thing we need to get to today, I think, at some point. Luther was incredibly concerned that what he was doing would lead to the dissolution of Christendom and anarchy. Mm. And that's why there's two Luthers. Mm. There's a Luther up to 1525, and there's a Luther after 1525. And it all has to do with that one thing. Mm. But... um, at one point when he's there at the Vartburg Castle and he's feeling these pressures and he's wondering, have I done the wrong thing? Um, he felt like the, the devil was right behind him and he takes his inkwell that he's writing with and he throws it at the devil and allegedly there was this ink spot there for all this period of time. And stuff like that. Everybody knows that story. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, that room was 75 meters, 100 meters straight over there from where Fritz Erba would be imprisoned for seven years wow. and that to me mm. sort of symbolized the the give and take that you have to understand mm. 
about the Reformation or you were making caricatures. And, and that's, what, that's what I had come to understand during that, that trip was that um, a lot of people present a caricature mm-hmm. of the Reformers and Reformation and, and everything. It's a whole lot easier to just turn them into a bunch of superheroes and give them capes and stuff like that and make, uh, you know, every single time you see a picture of Luther standing outside the Wittenberg door with a hammer in his hand pointing at the 95 Theses, that's a caricature. That never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I've stood at that door. Mm-hmm. In uh, 1517, that church would have been surrounded by farm fields. Mm-hmm. There would have been goats and chickens and cows wandering by. And it was the community bulletin board. Right. And when I had heard as a kid, hey, if you're going to nail something to a church door, you're going to do it during the service and everybody's going to hear it and it's a protest and everybody took it down. But, oh, look what he's saying. It had nothing to do with any of that. He was simply posting 95 theses for debate because he is a professor at a small university that needs students. And the best way to get students is to advertise to do that by having debates. Mm-hmm. And so the whole thing was 95 theses. He's a Roman Catholic at the time. He has, he has no dream that he's starting a reformation whatsoever. Right. right. And so we have all these caricatures that have, have built up over time. And it, it, I'm not just trying to tear those down, but to really appreciate what he was up against and what the second generation was up against and everything else, you've got to, you've got to understand what the actual background was. Mm. And so uh, when I talk about the two Luthers, uh, and, and I think this is the thing that would be most helpful to most people, when I talk about the two Luthers, uh, Luther, obviously, back then, you, you got an early start in life because you're not going to live as long, all right? So you're getting to university pretty young, you got to realize just to go to a place like Wittenberg. Now, Wittenberg was not a large, uh, not a large city. Mm. It still isn't a large city. I ran around the outside of it more than once when I was, when I was there. I've been there a number of times, with three, four times. And um, so if you went to any major city to attend a university, you're taking your life in your hands because the plague's still running around. Mm. Almost everybody would have to flee from a city from an attack of the plague at some point or another. Uh, for example, Calvin, when he went to Strasbourg, uh, the plague struck Strasbourg while he was there. He refused to leave. He stayed and ministered to his French congregants in the, in the church while he was be- This was in that brief period of peace that he had before he went back to Geneva where he never did have peace. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but he, he, was, he was unafraid. To do- Zwingli risked his life and got the plague, but that's survived right. it That's right. Uh, that's in, in Zurich. And so uh, this was just... Once you got to a certain age, you just would... to be clear, we don't think the COVID pandemic gives us insight into what <laughs> no. was happening. Oh no, 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 with no, the plague. No, 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 no <laughs> just no, be re- I just want to be really clear no, about that. <laughs> be, no, between 1347 and 1351, in in some cities, three out of every four people died. Right, seventy five percent. So about half of Europe died uh, yeah. in that in that time period. And um, that changed everything. Uh, that was a true pandemic, okay? That was, yes. that was the real thing. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, the, these, this was, by the time you, you reached 20, you would, have, you would have seen many dead people on the side of the road, okay? Death was, and infant mortality. Oh, oh good grief. At yeah. certain periods of time, there, a woman would have to have 10 live births right. to get one through to adulthood. I, I, almost, I, can't, I cannot think 
honestly, of a reformer that did not lose at least one child in, in childhood. Right. Calvin did. Uh, Luther yeah. did. Um, more than one. Uh, so it was just, it's hard for us to even look back and try mm-hmm. to uh, contextualize uh, things as to what we're working out there. So we've probably heard the story of Luther. He would go, he was an Augustinian. His dad didn't want him to become a monk. Mm. Uh, he wanted him to, to be an attorney, just like Calvin's dad did. And Calvin studied law. You can see that in this, right? Yes, true. Um, and, uh, but he, he insists on becoming a monk, the lightning s- storm, I'll be, help me, I'll become a monk, and so on and so forth, all those stories. And then the fact that he has a very, very uh, active conscience, the, mm. the idea of his spending six hours in the confessional. Mm-hmm. Now, whether he ever did or didn't, that's the story that's told. And there clearly is, on his part, a lack of peace following the sacramental system of Rome. And so somewhere, uh, he finally he, he obtains a, a copy of Erasmus's first edition of his Novum Instrumentum, which was Greek on one side, Latin on the other. Um, really important to have that material out there, 1516. He's studying. He, he starts to see the light. He starts mm. to see through the traditions and the... He's starting to understand justification, the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God scared him to death. Because God's righteousness is what condemns. Right. Um, it's the idea of the righteousness of God as a gift, mm. just not something that, that Rome ever could have had an understanding of. In fact, just yesterday on the program, I, I read from Thomas Aquinas' commentary on Romans 4, where it talks about uh, that imputation of righteousness, and he just he completely missed it. He broke it up. Instead of seeing what he's talking about, he starts talking about original sin, venial sin, and mortal sin. I just, just, just completely missed it. The light comes on with Luther. He sees it. Uh, there's a brief period of time uh, where he starts to understand the gospel, and then very quickly there is a man who you need to remember. His name is Johann Eck. Mm. Johann Eck. Eck becomes Luther's lifelong enemy. Mm-hmm. He's a brilliant Roman Catholic. Mm. And they debate in 1518, as I recall. Uh, and Eck corners Luther mm. and says, you are teaching what Jan Hus taught. Now, Jan Hus had been burned at the Council of Constance in 1415. And all Luther knew about him was he was a heretic that was burned at, at, a, major, at, a, at a major council. I don't want to be him. And so during one of the breaks in the debates, their debates would be multi-day things, not, not a two-and-a-half-hour, yeah. three-hour thing like I'm used to. Yeah. He goes to the library, and he looks up X writing, uh, not X, Jan uh, Hus's writings, and starts reading, and he's like, Uh-oh. Oh, no, he's <laughs> right. <laughs> I am. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. This is dangerous. And he basically admits it. And uh. so he, But what happens is, he loses, but Eck forces him to realize the what's called the material principle of the Reformation is justification by faith. That's the material that was being preached. That was the essence of the message. But there's a formal principle of the Reformation that gives form to that. It's called sola scriptura. Mm. Scripture is the sole infallible rule of faith. And it's Eck that pushes Luther to realize where the real problem lies. Mm. And that is the traditions, the, the reliance upon popes and councils right, and so okay. on and so forth. And that helps him to begin to understand the need for solo scriptura. And so Eck, from that time onward, 
is warning Rome, you've got a problem in Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. And Rome's like, it's a priest in a small little, this doesn't, besides that, politically, he's protected by Frederick, his, his, his elector. And so there was politics involved as well. Mm. And, but Eck from the beginning is going, it's, no, you, you guys guy. got a pr- thing that he saw. <laughs> yeah. Eck, Eck was a brilliant, brilliant guy. He really, really was. So long story short, um, between 1517 and 1520 or so, Luther really starts realizing, you know, he starts writing pamphlets like, the antichrist in rome <laughs> and stuff like this we're talking pull the pin throw the grenade we're we're going we're going whole hog here um unbothered uh, uh, totally yeah. unbothered yes. and so he is he is summoned he is given safe conduct to come to the diet of worms diet is a a meeting of the electors of the holy roman empire and it was a meeting in a town called Worms. We get to make lots of fun about that. The Diet of Worms. And these days, given that now our, our overlords want us want eating eat bugs worms. and worms, uh, it's going to get... <laughs> might be gonna, going back to that. Might be going back to it anyway. So, but the funny thing is, Yan um, Hus had been given safe conduct, the Council of Constance. And so now and Luther... And that's where he was burned. And that's where he was burned. <laughs> and Luther is now given safe conduct to come to the Diet of Worms. So when Luther, uh, <laughs> when, Luther, when Luther came into Worms, as he came around one corner, uh, scrawled on one of the walls, uh, he's in a you know, rickety wagon as he's going around. Uh, it says, Luther, the Saxon Hus. Ooh. So that's, that's basically saying, yeah. you're never leaving here again. Yeah. This is this is it. And he expected it. When's he, the last time either of you guys went to a party and you like thought you were going to get or a gathering, burned. I guess. Yeah. And you like didn't know if you were going to ever leave. <laughs> yeah. 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 Can't relate. No. <laughs> yeah, well, but but he he felt he had to go. Yeah. And so again, we have the caricatures of him boldly striding in like a lion and here I stand and but 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 it, it didn't really work that way. In fact, his books were on a table. Do you recant these books? Well, how can I? There's plenty of stuff that we would all agree on in these books. What? I, how can I recant what's what's in these books when you would agree with 99%? Right. Um, and then he asked for 24 hours. And when they come back after 24 hours, um, he has sort of steeled his his spine. And they say, look, we, we, we want a straight up answer. Yes or no. And that's when you get the, um, I cannot go against conscience. Uh, popes and councils have contradicted each other. They've been inconsistent. Uh, unless you show me from the word of God and by plain and evident reason, yeah. um, then And so he's still there a few days later. He, uh, there's an there's a interview. Once he leaves, uh, he fully expects he's... He's going to be arrested and, and, and executed. And that's when his, his elector, uh, Frederick, uh, has him kidnapped and dragged off to the Hartburg Castle. So that's 1521. Over the next couple of years, the, the poor, the, the, you know, the, the peasants mm. are listening to what Luther is saying. Mm-hmm. And he's listening to them. And during this time period, Luther is very... Very open-minded. I mean, he's looking for religious freedom. Yeah, he's looking to have freedom to believe the things that he f- finds to be in the Word of God. So during this time period, for example, uh, the Zwickau prophets come into Wittenberg, and the Zwickau prophets 
basically got direct revelation from God. They would have done really well on TBN. Okay. 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 So gotcha. That's if that's what you're looking for here. Um, they would have they would have done, done well done on TBN. And interestingly enough, Luther's first response to them is, "Well, we need to listen. We need to hear them out." Mm. And that that's what a person who is seeking religious freedom himself is probably going to say. Right. And it's also during this time, and I do have a quotation here as long as I can find it. Um, in 1523, Luther put out a little book called Jesus Was Born a Jew. Okay. Now, you might say, duh, <laughs> we knew that. But you need to understand that at this point in time, there is a horrific history of persecution of Jews in the history of Christianity. And it goes all the way back to about the fourth century. And there are many, 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 many examples of it, but it's only gotten worse and worse as Christianity has become the governmental mm. structure and sacralism, the church state. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, uh, during the plague uh, in one city in Europe, uh, they rounded up the, the Jews were frequently accused of causing this by putting poison in the water sources of the cities. And so in one city, they rounded up all the Jews, uh, put them out on an island uh, in a building, locked them in, and burned it. Just killed all of them. Um, wow. And so uh, there, was, there was a lot of this type of stuff. And so f for Luther to write this was rather radically open-minded. And in his book, let me give you this citation, Therefore I will cite from Scripture the reasons that move me to believe that Christ was a Jew born of a virgin, that I might perhaps also win some Jews to the Christian faith. Our fools, the popes, bishops, sophists, and monks, the crude asses' heads, have hitherto so treated the Jews that anyone who wished to be a good Christian would almost have had to become a Jew. If I had been a Jew and had seen such dolts and blockheads govern and teach the Christian faith, I would sooner have become a hog than a Christian." They have dealt with the Jews as if, as if they were dogs rather than human beings. They have done little else than deride them and seize their property. When they baptize them, they show them nothing of Christian doctrine or life, but only subject them to popishness and monkery. When the Jews then see that Judaism has such strong support in Scripture and that Christianity has become a mere babble without reliance on Scripture, how can they possibly compose themselves and become right good Christians? I have myself heard from pious baptized Jews that if they had not in our day heard the gospel, they would have remained Jews under the cloak of Christianity for the rest of their days. For they acknowledge that they have never yet heard anything about Christ from those who baptized and taught them. I hope that if one deals in a kindly way with the Jews and instructs them carefully from Holy Scripture, many of them will become genuine Christians and turn again to the faith of their fathers, the prophets and patriarchs. They will only be frightened further away from it if their Judaism is so utterly rejected that nothing is allowed to remain, and they are treated only with arrogance and scorn. If the apostles, who also were Jews, had dealt with us Gentiles as we Gentiles deal with the Jews, there would never have been a Christian among the Gentiles. Since they dealt with us Gentiles in such brotherly fashion, we in our turn ought to treat the Jews in a brotherly manner in order that we might convert some of them. For even we ourselves are not yet all very far along, not to speak of having arrived. So that's 1523. But like I said, 1525 is the dividing line. Why? Because the peasants revolted. That's right. Yeah. And the taxation, the way they had been treated, the, look, on a justice level, they certainly were 
being treated very unjustly. But they began sacking castles, mm. and Luther saw his worst nightmare taking place, and that is the coming of utter chaos, mm-hmm. anarchy. And so they expected Luther to join their side. Luther says to the princes, if anyone engages in that kind of violence, wipe them out. Use the sword. And the princes did Mm. and killed around 100,000 peasants in the brief battles that followed. Because the peasants have have farming implements and they have knights and horses and swords and armor and so it's not much of a fair fight. And 100,000 uh, people are killed. And Luther loses all of southern Germany. Um, I, when I took German in high school, my German teacher mentioned that there's sort of like a line in Germany where all the churches north of that line are Lutheran, and the churches south of that line are Catholic. Mm. And it goes back to what happened in 1525. Mm. And Luther himself was greatly changed. Mm by the events of 1525. The open, the the Luther that we like to see in the movies and talk about as the reformer, eventually over the next 20 years before his death in 1546, as I recall, um, really sort of became a little curmudgeonly. Mm. It's not that he didn't stop his work. It's not that he didn't write some important things there, but most of the books that we look at today and go, wow, it's great stuff. You know, freedom, bondage, the wills. It's all pre-1525. Mm. And one of the examples of this is that what you'll see that's so nasty about Luther on the net will be the stuff about anti, it's not anti-Semitism, it's anti-Judaism. Okay. And it's well known that the Nazis quoted from Luther mm. in their propaganda against the Jews. Hmm. And so you'll find all sorts of stuff on the web uh, blaming Luther directly mm-hmm. for Auschwitz and Buchenwald and, and everything that happened in the Holocaust because they quoted from him. Uh, and they could quote from him. They don't quote from 1520, 1523 Luther that said the things that I just quoted from you. Right. Uh, they quote from a book from 1543 called The Jews and Their Lies. Okay. Ooh. So here's a quote from 1543. What shall we Christians do with this rejected and condemned people, the Jews? Since they live among us, we dare not tolerate their conduct. Now that we are aware of their lying and reviling and blaspheming. If we do, we become sharers in their lies, cursing and blasphemy. Thus, we cannot extinguish the unquenchable fire of divine wrath of which the prophets speak, nor can we convert the Jews. With prayer and the fear of God, we must practice a sharp mercy to see whether we might save at least a few from the glowing flames. We dare not avenge ourselves. Vengeance a thousand times worse than we could wish them already has them by the throat. I shall give you my sincere advice. First, set fire to their synagogues or schools and to bury and cover with dirt whatever will not burn so that no man will ever again see a stone or cinder of them. This is to be done in honor of our Lord and of Christendom so that God might see that we are Christians and do not condone or knowingly tolerate such public lying, cursing and blaspheming of his son and of his Christians. For whatever he tolerated in the past, unknowingly, and I myself was unaware of it, will be pardoned by God. But if we, now that we are informed, were to protect and shield such a house of the Jews, existing right before our very nose, in which they lie about, blaspheme, curse, vilify, and defame Christ and us, as was heard above, 
It would be the same as if we were doing all this and even worse ourselves, as we very well know. Now, what he's referring to were the stories that are still passed around today about blood libel, uh, about uh, Jews taking Christian children and, and draining their blood out and making matzah out of their blood and, and how they, in their meetings, uh, curse Christ and force Christians to curse Christ. And mm. all, this, this, was, this was the common anti-Jewish polemic and rhetoric mm. of the day. What's fascinating is the greatest example, the worst anti-Jewish screed, longest, most absurd to ever appear in church history, appears at this time written by Johannek. Oh. The same Johannek huh. that Luther had debated years earlier. Okay. Uh, X book. Uh, I think I have. A, let me let me see if I have the uh, the uh, the quote here. Um, yeah, it would be odious to review the whole of X book. Suffice it to say that it represents the absolute nadir of anti-Jewish polemic in the early modern period. Stephen Rowe in 1985. So it was it was horrific. Huh. And here in one of the great how did that happens of church history, you have Luther and his greatest enemy. Joining together, right. right toward the end of Luther's life, because that's 1543. Luther dies only a few years later, uh, in attacking uh, Jews and in believing this foolishness that was being, and is still. I mean, you go to Palestine today, and everything that they believed back then about the Jews is believed in Palestine today about the Jews, but now wow. it's by Muslims. Wow. So. Um, this is where all this comes from. Now, Luther's book wasn't as, wasn't as bad as X. It wasn't nearly as long as X either, but it didn't make any difference. Um, he had come to believe after 1525 mm. the libel against the Jews. Mm. And that's why he says, even if we are ignorant like I was, yeah. that's one thing. But now that we've come to know these things, well, we just, you know, we can't allow these people to live amongst us and have synagogues and so on and so forth. And so... You know, most of the early reformers, that's what, that's what everybody believed. That that's what the papacy believed. That's what all the Roman Catholics believed. Uh, you know, when, when, when people attack the reformers for various things, they almost never will point out that, for example, um, when Servetus comes to Geneva and he's eventually burned in Geneva, Servetus had been condemned by the Roman Catholic Inquisition and escaped the night before his burning in his nightclothes by jumping on top of an outhouse and jumping over a fence. <laughs> So he would have been burned along with his books the next day. Yeah. And he made a beeline for Geneva. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's one heretic burned in Geneva. Rome's been burned in right, left, and center. But it's famous because he goes to Geneva, and that's where he ends up uh, getting burned. Um, so you have, it, it was, everybody in Rome believed on this. Everyone. Mm. And in fact, Rome, Rome would have been looking at the reformers like, see, you guys are wimps. You guys are soft. This is what happens when you accept your stuff because you're not, you're not being hard on the Jews. These, these people are blaspheming Christ and you're letting them get away and da 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 da. So there was all sorts of other background mm. stuff going on there. But you can just, if you just read Luther's works, you can just see this divide, mm -hmm. this, this huge change. And I remember sitting in um, one of the churches where Luther uh, preached, uh, it was in Eisleben. 
He was born in Eisleben, though he never lived there. Mm. He was passing through Eisleben, going someplace else, and died there. Mm. So, so he <laughs> it just happened to be born there, though it's not where he lived, and then he was, happened to be passing through, and that's where he died. So interesting. Interesting, yeah. So I was sitting right next to... Because you know, to be to, to preach, then you had these curving stairways, elevated pulpit, because you don't have microphones right. and stuff like that. You got to get up there so people can hear you. So I'm sitting right next to where he preached these sermons, but I'm reading some of the last sermons that he preached there right before he died. And one of the four that he preached was just just like the book, Ugh. very very much anti-Jewish. And so you read the early Luther and you read the later Luther. And there's this, there's a big, 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 big difference. And there were historical reasons mm. for those things. And unfortunately, Wikipedia or the internet is not always really good at giving you that background information so that you can, in some meaningful way, uh, evaluate the whys and wherefores and, and how that influenced other people and where did the where did the, the the center of the Reformation move after Luther? Because he mm. no, he remained in a leadership position, but even even just a few years after, uh, when a very famous uh, thing took place called the Marburg Colloquy, where Luther and a number of Lutheran princes and leaders and Zwingli, this is fifteen twenty nine. Uh, I think Bootser was there as well. They all get together and they draw up an article, a, a confession, where they agree on, on 14 out of 15 things. Mm. But they can't agree on the last point because of Luther. It's the supper. Mm. And that's where Luther writes on the table, hoc est corpus meum, this is my body. And he's just, is, is, is my body. And Luther did not like Zwingli at all. Mm. And did not like the Swiss because Wingley was promoting a memorialist view only mm. of the supper. And Luther thinks this is just absolutely horrible. Well, it's interesting. Uh, most of the people that were there were convinced by Zwingli's arguments. They were biblical. They, were, they went. And Luther's just sitting there tapping on the table, pointing at the word is. Um, and so they couldn't, they couldn't agree. They couldn't, mm. they couldn't come together uh, at, that, at that point in time. Uh, and there was an... Er when you read, Zwingli is very deferential to Luther, very respectful toward Luther. Luther is not respectful toward Zwingli at all. And so you start seeing the more irascible later Luther in instances like that. Mm. Um, and so pick your, pick your Luther. Uh, it seems to me that the, most of the influence that has lasted was from the early Luther. Not the not the later Luther. That's what we've been all influenced by. I mean, I guess depends on who you ask. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You'll probably meet the caricature that that fits the narrative of whoever is. Uh -huh. I mean, especially anyone who's had like any association with the Holocaust uh -huh. now, because I truly believe that the Holocaust is pretty much the extent of our of public schools philosophy training yes um it really <laughs> and holocaust so, bad so yeah it's like if you if anyone can find something that would associate you yeah. with a nazi you automatically that's it well yeah i'm done and certainly i i disagree with what they did but yeah it was it's more complicated than just don't be hitler and then you'll be a good person right, right. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you, you can't, it, it's sort of like blaming Augustine for the, uh, um, Inquisition. Sure. Because, and, and people do. Dave Hunt did. Dave Hunt blamed Augustine for the Inquisition. Why? Because Augustine did allow governmental troops to be used to suppress his enemies called the Donatists. Mm-hmm. Now, could, did, did, is that an important part in the development that eventually led to the Inquisition? Yeah, it is. Sure. Could he have had any idea of what would happen literally six, seven hundred years down the road? Right. No, of course no. not. <laughs> but that's, that's what, kind of character thinking. Like, these guys were so, like, they were so great. They knew what their yeah. like what their actions right. were going 700 to do. years later yeah no <laughs> absolutely no, no earthly idea absolutely no earthly idea none yeah, no. so i guess what would be the context i feel like this question comes up a lot in so many ways and i i think you've maybe already hinted at this is how you do it but when we're looking at somebody like luther i think what a lot of people want to do is determine well, if he did this, that means he must not have been a Christian, which means why would I bother reading his material? And people do that with, they do that with Puritans and, and they Thomas do Aquinas. It, all kinds of, yes. <laughs> That's what's going on right now. People do that with all kinds of historical figures. They, mm-hmm. they narrow in on one thing that they did and go, okay, well now I'm going to throw everything out. And sometimes I think there might be situations where that there might be a situation where that might be something to do. Like there, obviously there are times we haven't read everybody's body of work that there is to read for a reason. Not everybody's entire body of work needs to be read or considered, but how do you look at these figures and then determine like if Calvin would have put you to death, Mm -hmm. Why would you use him in any of your argumentation? Right. Well, um, there's there's a couple of things you have to try to discombobulate in the thinking there. Um, we have been influenced by all sorts of people who either were clearly not Christians, or even if they claim to be Christians, uh, and, and we might question that, the fact is, we have been influenced by what they wrote and what they said. So you cannot even begin to look at the history of the United States of America without understanding Scotch-Irish Presbyterianism and therefore John Knox, John Calvin, right. and everything that goes along with it. You can't. So you can, you can come to the conclusion you don't think John Calvin was a, was a Christian. That doesn't change the fact that the language you use, the confessions of the churches around you, and your history has been deeply influenced by him. So you're going to be ignorant of him to your own, mm. to your own, your own detriment. Uh, saying that we are not given the capacity to look into people's hearts and minds, and we are not called to make that decision uh, as to who's going to heaven and, and who isn't. Thankfully, we want to do that. We confuse the person with their message. So uh, I think that there is going to be, well, I've got shocking news for people. There's going to be a bunch of people in heaven that did not have an absolutely perfect understanding of everything there is to know about the Christian faith. Right. And if that's not true, there ain't going to be anybody uh, right. if, it, if it takes perfection. And so um, I want to hope mm. uh, that a lot of people mm. that had a really bad understanding of things uh, were still actually Christians and are still actually going to receive eternal life and forgiveness of sins. We have to differentiate between the person mm. and the actual message. So right now, there's 
I'm daily uh, being canceled by people that used to have me teaching in their schools and their churches and everything else. It's an amazing experience um, over the issue of Thomas Aquinas. Right. But here's another example. Uh, I mean, you know, the reason you asked me here is not just because I'm your dad. Sure. Uh, but I'm professor of church history at Grace Bible Theological Seminary. So I've been teaching church history since... Well, I have your I have your yeah, notes. Yeah, I took notes. <laughs> I, ha- I still have your your handwritten notes from one of my church history classes at Grand Canyon. I started teaching uh, the you were not yet one mm. when I started teaching church history. So I've been teaching it for a while, and uh, so when you look at someone like Thomas Aquinas, there is no question that he had a massive, huge impact on Christian history. He had a massive, huge impact um, on everyone that came after him, because you mm-hmm. have to deal with the huge amount of material that he produced. Um, but he is an extremely controversial figure, mm-hmm. massive amount of material. Mm-hmm. And most of us cannot even read him because the, the scholasticism of that time period is, it's just soul-destroying to try to read it's this to stuff. The it moon. Is, it yeah. is just horrible. Yeah. Um, and so what's happening there, there have always been Protestants, even though he's a doctor of the Roman Catholic church. Yeah. It's not, not just St. Thomas Aquinas. He is a doctor. There are only a few doctors that are considered to be that authoritative and important. Council of Trent just basically took his theology and said, this is our theology. This is what you're going to believe from now on and so on and so forth. And so there's huge controversy, however, even amongst Roman Catholics as to how to understand Thomas Aquinas right? and what his impact has been and what he actually taught. And then there have always been Protestants that were big Thomists. R.C. Sproul was. John Gerstner was. Uh, as a result, they're anti-presuppositional. Right. So, so there's a so uh, Cornelius Van Til, Francis Schaeffer, very anti-Thomas uh, Aquinas. Yes. And so now there's this massive stuff going on. I'm on the presuppositional side. I'm on the side saying I really, I really don't think that Thomas Aquinas said anything uh, that is actually taught in the Bible to where he was the first one to say it mm. or that he said it best. Okay. All right. I think that sort of lays it, lays it out. Uh, but there's this huge renaissance right now where if you aren't, if you aren't getting your tonsure cut and, and join the Dominicans, you're just not really cool. Mm. So you look at someone like Thomas Aquinas. I'm unbothered. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, my what? Yeah, don't even worry about it. My Just... what cut? Tonsure, tonsure cut. You know how the monks would have Oh, it? yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, uh, yeah that's a tonsure cut. That, uh, he would have had that as a Dominican monk. So. Um, and Luther would have, uh, even as an Augustinian, uh, 250 years later. But anyways, um, when I look at someone like Aquinas, you have to look at what did he actually teach. Yeah. But even then, you can't necessarily know what did he actually believe. Hmm. So, for example, um, he is just um, writes about the sacrament of the Mass and the Eucharist, and he lays out really the whole idea of transubstantiation and accidents and presence and everything that we would absolutely reject mm. concerning the Mass is just central to Thomas. Yeah. Um, and he, he doesn't understand justification, uh, but he, he's good in Trinitarian theology. Okay, you know, so so is a bunch of other people. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, so, you know, the the best that you can do, since you can't talk to the man, mm. and there was no Reformation in his day, there wasn't anybody proclaiming these things. 
there were heretics that they were busily burning, and his group, the Dominicans, were the primary people doing it, the Waldensians and and uh, and and, and other, others like that. Some of them may have been true Christians that they were lighting on fire, so maybe some of them did hear the gospel from them. I don't know. But you you can't put, take him out of the context he was in, mm. put him in today's context, mm. because he's not had the opportunity, he did not have the opportunity of hearing a clear presentation of justification by faith. He's reading the Bible. I know. I know that. Mm. But he's reading with such a massive lens of tradition over his eyes. Right. That like yesterday I said in the program, I read his dealing with Romans chapter four, and he takes the section about non-imputation of sin and turns into a discussion about original sin, mortal sin, and venial sin, which has nothing to do with any of that. So what would he have done had he heard? I don't know. Mm. There's no way of knowing. So we he didn't. Really, so it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we get ourselves into a real mess when we start trying to anachronistically take people out of the context they were in and mm. saying, well, if they had lived today. Well, they didn't live today. Right. We can't ask them to answer questions that right. we're asking that were not a part of their context. Right. And so we have to be we have to have a meaningful historiography, a meaningful way of doing history. Mm. And I've just always taught my students from the first time I started teaching it. It's look, let the early church fathers be the early church fathers. Mm. Don't try to turn them into modern day Baptists. They weren't. Don't try to turn them into modern day Roman Catholics. They weren't. They, they dogmatically Rome does so, but they weren't. Um, and let them be what they were. Yeah. And, and be thankful for the good. There was this great, and his name has skipped my mind again, but um, there was this great old church history professor at Covenant Seminary years and years and years ago. And I listened to all of, all of his series a couple times over the years. And at the end of each class, he would finish either with a prayer of thanksgiving or, or a prayer of asking for forgiveness, depending on whether what they had covered that day had been good or bad in church history. <laughs> and that was a recognition yeah. that... And then sometimes he wasn't sure how to do it because you look at certain people in church history, you know, and you read John Chrysostom and man, it, he's called John the golden mouth and it's, it's these beautiful sermons and great Christian truths, but he's also one of the original purveyors of an anti-Jewish attitude as well. Really? And so I didn't know that. And I've you, read about him. Yeah. Nobody so how, mentioned that. Oh, well, no, unfortunately a lot of stuff won't. <laughs> and in fact, most of the, most of the church history material that is, is available in, uh, in English today uh, you wouldn't even know. They'll mention something about the church in the East. Yeah. But but the church went all the way to China. Yeah. In the 8th century, there was a huge church there. Then it disappeared almost overnight. We have no idea why. No idea why. And we can't do any archaeological looking in China right. uh, to find out. But it, it, almost nothing is ever said about any of that kind of stuff. It's all We're all focused on what's been relevant to us in the West, and that's about all we know about. And so that's just the way that that church history texts are written. That's why I'm thankful for my dear friend, Nick Needham, uh, his uh, currently four, soon to be five volume series, uh, 2000 Years of Christ Power. Uh, very readable church history material. Uh, it's, it's meant for people in the church, not for fellow scholars and things like that. That's nice. Uh, it is. And it will also tell you a whole lot more about the church in the East than uh, most everything else will written for folks like that because Nick has a real interest in that area. And not only that, Does, he's just is a he dear, figuring dear out why? What no, 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 no. Oh, this man. is when, when I'm talking about East here, I'm talking more about Eastern Orthodoxy East and, yeah, okay. and things like that. So, um, so you, you have to, you have to have a balanced, um, way of, of handling history. Uh, I think it's only fair to them 
it, it's only fair to us. I think we abuse church history when we, we try to turn everybody in the past into our, they were on my side, they answered my, no, they weren't even dealing with your questions. So, mm. don't, so don't try to drag them into it. Mm. Uh, I'm afraid it happens a lot. Everybody on every side does it, mm. uh, but, we, but we shouldn't. And we should allow the early church fathers to be early church fathers and Luther to be Luther. Yeah. Because he was who he was. And I probably would not have had the, uh, the bravery to stand before Charles and say, here I stand, I can do no other, expecting to be tied to a stake and burnt that afternoon. Oh, I don't know. I absolutely think you would have done that. I absolutely no. think. I got you fooled. <laughs> I think when, once you've been challenged, <laughs> I think you, somebody just has to say, dare ya, and I think you would go, you would tie it, tie yourself. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. God's grace would be sufficient. I brought but, the rope. Um, I brought, I brought the, yeah, I brought the rope. What you going to do? <laughs> I don't know. We, you know, we read, um, we did a, little brief in our book club we read fair sunshine which was just like character sketches of the scottish covenanters and 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 if we learned anything about the scottish covenanters it's that uh once you challenge them they're just like yeah i'll bring the rope and i'm running scottish there's something about the scottish (laughs) and they're running across the moors in the night and they're just like yeah come and get me and then they're just like singing psalms all the way up to the gallows <laughs> and quoting Romans. And they're just like, oh, my wife's in the audience. Glad you could make it before like the bag goes on their well, head. And it turns I mean, to her and she's like, praise God. And she's like, and see you later. Psalm. <laughs> and she, you know, I mean, just you read those and you're like, yeah, it's oh, well, that's the grace of God, obviously. Mm-hmm. And a little, I think, Scottish blood, too. <laughs> Just yeah, a little. It's... Are a little on the weird side. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any that. questions? That was my question. I feel like we've had him talk about I have this before. An off, I have a off recording question. Oh, I'm mm. gonna get emails about that. Yeah, no kidding. They're all gonna be like, "We want to know what that question so was." The question <laughs> would relate to something that would potentially be done on this show at some point. Gotcha. So it would not be a secret forever. But okay, cool. Yeah, just a little, a little uh, tantalizing All right. detail left out. Okay. Yeah, I actually get to teach uh, early church history at GBTS in uh, uh, late September, early October. I forget exactly when it is. Oh. But when I'm coming back from speak, I'm speaking at the Museum of the Bible with the G3 conference oh, cool. uh, in September. Um, and then on the way back, uh, stopping in Conway. Uh, and teaching early church history. And that's, that's going to be, I love teaching early church history. The problem is to teach it on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. I've been teaching church history for a church in Frankfurt yeah. for two and a half years. We haven't gotten to the Council of Nicaea yet. <laughs> that is how in-depth we've gone. Now, now there's been some of that has been for those of you who don't know the Council of Nicaea. We're talking like three twenty five. Three twenty five. That's 80. like the year. It has three numbers, not four. Three twenty five. Right. <laughs> so not. It is considered part of the early church. Yes. And we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet. So we've been we yeah. Uh, so doing all of early church in three days is. Yeah. Challenge. Do you know? I, do you know when you're doing that? Because this episode is going to be coming out on October 10th. Oh, that'll be done by then. 
It'll be done. Okay. So it already happened. Yes. Okay. Have you been to the Museum of the Bible? I have not. Okay. I'd be um, interested to hear what you... Yeah. I've heard it's that, that's very That's going to be interesting. But... Um, getting there is going to be interesting because, you know, I drive and I'm right. right now. And um, so I'm actually literally have to park outside of Washington, D.C. because I ain't taking an RV into Washington, <laughs> right, D.C. Right. Right. And even as it is, I'm going to have to take my truck in. I don't want to take my truck into Washington, yeah. D.C. But I'm going to have to. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a long, long, uh, over 31 days, th- over 31 days on the road. And literally for me, that's on the road. Cause I do it in an RV now. Yeah. Right. Um, oh, that's right. That's the way. So I have that window to give birth and then yes, you're leaving. I will be in, I'll be in Colorado. <laughs> um in window uh, in, in august you've been given your instructions yeah. yes and, and uh jason lyle and i are doing a whole we're doing oh, cool. a big uh, conference at uh, redemption hills church just outside of denver on the failures of secularism oh fun he's going to do his fractal presentation i, I know you love the fractal oh, presentation uh, to see that live i'm so excited about oh, that oh man i'm gonna have to post a link somebody's gonna be like what's the fractal I presentation oh, no kidding. oh yeah 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 his his fractal <laughs> presentation it'll blow your mind um and his book on fractals is really 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 he good has too. a book on fractals he, uh, he, uh, jason it makes sense jason I mean, jason I am not. I, I am a minor league geek and nerd in oh, comparison yeah. to Jace. He is the ultra, yeah. ultra geek and nerd. He's the smartest guy I've ever met. But anyways, that's in in August. I'm home for like two weeks. That's when you have a baby, right? Uh, and then you Ooh. have a, you have a certain range, you got a certain window. <laughs> two week window. That's just all there is to it. Okay? Two week window. Yeah, that's all you got. And then <laughs> I'm gone for 31 days. That's uh, right. With lots of lots of stuff to do, all the way back to Washington D.C. and back again. So. Yeah, to D.C. and back. That's okay. That's a long drive that is a long drive and 30 it's gonna take 31 days yep all right well best of luck to you (laughs) on the road again i mean since biden told the gas places to to lower their prices i'm sure that that everything will be just what's going to happen will be fine by then yeah no i i keep telling people i'll be there as long as there's gas to purchase yeah as long as or or we still have a currency that is has value to it because once the United States defaults on its, uh, on its loans, then uh, every gallon of gas will cost fifty bucks. So, so yeah, I don't, exciting. I don't imagine uh, any of us at this table getting a lot of gas vouchers no. when the time comes. No, no, not from, not, no, not from, not from uh, Big Brother. No, nope, my bikes will be very valuable. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, that's why he's been riding so many miles. Yeah, you've been training your whole life for this. Uh, Especially my, well, I've got an e-bike. I don't know if you know that. I've got an e-bike. An e, what's an e-bike? It's electronic. What does that mean? It has an electronic motor in it. Oh, so you can just hop on and it just... No, 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 no. It it will, at full power, it will put out as much um, energy as you're putting into the pedals. Okay. So it'll double what you're putting in the pedals. Okay, got it. At full power. Okay. There's lower ones that'll last longer. Okay. Uh, But I got it last winter when I looked like I might be living someplace other than the house, if you remember. <laughs> we had other people living in the house. Yeah. Uh, and so that's how I got back and forth and stuff. And So yeah, that may be the way. I, I, a little too far to get out here, but yeah. it may be the way to, to do things. Yeah, I feel like our Phoenix is not quite built for oh, it is not. that at no, all, is it? it? Is not. it is not. Most places aren't. Nope. I guess, except now, for... Conway, Arkansas is. Okay, well, that's fun. That would be... Um, <laughs> 
that where we all I'm, need to I'm, relocate? I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to talk to, to talk to Eric about uh, the, the Conway, the, the, Arkansas, about the positive things about Conway. He'll ar- he'll already be looking at. We should probably bleep the. <laughs> yeah, the I'm going to edit that. Edit that out. <laughs> everything's going to be purchased. But edit that out. <laughs> They're already growing. Little there's, Rock, there's, there's Arkansas, is what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He totally feel, does this feel thing. Feel free to move there. <laughs> I think this is a man thing, but he does this thing where if we're talking about a place, he immediately looks at how much property costs. So last night, for whatever reason, he was trying to figure out where the nearest ocean was to us. And when uh-huh. he determined that it's down in Puerto Penasco, he was like, which is like Rocky, the yeah. Rocky Point mm-hmm. area. He was like, look, we could get a whole half acre on the beach for $175,000. And I'm like, yeah. In but, but, Rocky Point. In Rocky but then, but then you have to pay the uh, uh, the, the drug cartels. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. One hundred seventy-five thousand per month, uh, right. not to kill you. Well, so, yeah, he's idea. he was ready to go. <laughs> so, uh, and wherever he'll just be like, "Did you know we could get a house?" in West Virginia and I'm like why <laughs> why are you in West what Virginia? are you what's happening in West Virginia you're telling me the property values anyway this is what but See, I we don't undoubtedly that. need that <laughs> trait in our husband I don't do it because what did I say when we moved into our house in 19 we're burying you in the backyard burying me in the backyard that's what he said. was that before or after the flood that was the first night. <laughs> so, so before was, the flood. It was before and after. Before. So. Oh, man. I, I told you the flood like, story right recently. You were like, right now, right now, bury me in the backyard, please. Mm-hmm. That's actually it's one what of those, he meant. The, I've told them. Boxes floating around in the... One oh, of, the, one of the, the sounds that I, like... Oh, no. Yes, oh, is that... No. I can hear that. And I can hear... I woke up Sunday morning. I hear my dad. Oh, no. And then like it gets and then it gets bigger and like it like increasingly like it went from Mm -hmm. a normal to like a bigger and then yeah, all of the boxes just like all my Berenstein Bears books. That's what I remember. (laughs) I don't I'm sure you lost lots of things. Well and we we drag them outside and then what does it start to do? It rained. It started to rain. In Arizona, yeah, <laughs> it was probably the first rain in yep. the first months, rain in probably. eight months, and it all started raining. Yeah, it was not a good start. Yeah, do you remember something? Because I vivid, like what I remember being heartbroken over. Obviously, you had just purchased a home, so that that was our first would yeah. take precedent. But for me, it was my books. They were all at the bottom mm. in the water, and. You know that was all I really cared about at that point in my life. And and you and you know who pulled the pulled the water plug out that did that? Tuesday. Tuesday. That was our cat that um, we named oh. Tuesday because I saw him on a Monday. Wednesday. That was Wednesday. Oh yeah, because I saw him on a Wednesday, so they let me name him Tuesday. Yeah, I don't remember the whole story there, but yes, he. <laughs> He got trapped back there. I'm sure there, it made sense at the time. My dad had hooked up the water to the Did refrigerator, he? and it wasn't on tight enough. And Tuesday got trapped, and he just pulled it right off. And we were all in bed asleep, and it just and filled up the front room, which is sunken. It's, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was like a pool, pool, an indoor pool. And that's where we put all our boxes. <sighs> what a story. What a lovely <laughs> Anyway, you can leave us a voicemail and tell us about your house floods at 470 <laughs> What did you lose in the flood? What did you lose? The flood is one of those things where like when you get to heaven, if we get to ask for things to see, I want to see what that looked like. 
That's what I want to see. Really? Yeah. Oh, you mean the flood? The flood. I was going to say, if you want to see what happened that night at our house, <laughs> no. you are really missing thinking, it. Thinking way too small. <laughs> way too small. No, no, no. I want to see the flood. Like, show me the fountains of the deep. Like, that's what I want to see. I mean, yeah, that would be... What were the creatures? Anyway. Well, anyway. All right. Okay, everybody. Have a good week. (laughs) See ya.